Hi, this is Ben Zorns from Ellerslie Mission Society. This sermon by Pastor Eric Ludy is entitled, The Limping Bride. We often try to bargain with God by saying, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do, but can you make sure I still look strong, beautiful, hip, cool, and don't at any cost make me look like an idiot? Well, the truth is, our dependence on God is foolishness to this world. And if we want to sprint in the heavenlies, we must appear as a limping bride to this world. Please contact us at www.ellersley.com and enjoy the message. The limping bride. Now you're going to see a, a tremendous correlation between what we just talked about with the kids and this. And this is more of the uh, adult rendition of it, yes, but it's the same truth. When we think about the bride of Christ, Jesus being a bridegroom, and those that believe become his bride. That's a little strange for us guys. There's no doubt about it because we're like, Ugh. but you know, as I've said before, you know, guys may struggle with being the bride, but girls have to struggle with the fact that Paul says, quit yourselves like men. Okay, so we have a little bit of both. We need to understand the bride, which is the one that's dependent. The bride is the one that leans on the strong right arm or the rescuing arm of her rescuer, Jesus Christ, her Savior. And then we need to quit ourselves like men. We need to allow Jesus Christ in to be strong within us, to take these little fluffy lambs and give us the growl in the face of a lion. That's the great mystery of the gospel. So the one term in here, as far as an adjective that we're not used to, is the limping bride. I mean, the bride, how about the bride spotless and pure? That would make a little more sense. The limping bride? Why, why do we need a limp here? Uh, this isn't appropriate. Before I get into this, I want to give at least a couple stories. When you give your life radically to Jesus Christ and you declare, I want to leave Egypt. I want to leave the shackles of this world. I want out. But you call to your rescuer, your deliverer. That's what we see in the Old Testament. We see the people of Israel crying out after 430 years in slavery. And they cry out for their deliverer. And God delivers them. They put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their, their houses. And literally the death angel passes them by. And they are set free. Pharaoh says, get out! And they are delivered by the mighty right hand of God. We, when we come to that place and we're like, I want out! And we call on our sheriff. That great governor, that great general of generals to come in and fight the battle for us that we can't fight on our own. God leads us out. It says of, of the Israelites, when God was telling his plan, I'm going to take you out of the land of Egypt in order that I might bring you in to the land of promise. Now, that you probably all nod along and say, oh, of course, sure. Now, some of you may not understand what that means, but you have Egypt which is a very real country still today. And then you have Israel, which was known as the land of Canaan. To God's people, it was known as the land of promise. It was a defined territory. The people of Israel were not in their territory. They were not in the land that was promised to them. They were in slavery. Sound familiar? That's us. We're not where we ought to be. We are enslaved. And the kid version of it would be in the land of no-nos, frights and fuss. We are stuck in a place where we are behaving unlike our God. We are behaving like this world. We are behaving in a crippled and perverted manner. We are not as we ought to be. So God takes us out of Egypt. That's the great deliverance of the cross of Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. To take us in to this land flowing with milk and honey. But there is an in-between passageway. It's known as the wilderness. We need to get from Egypt through the wilderness into this land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the problem. Most of us as Christians get out of Egypt. Some of us don't even. We're still in shackles. We're still stuck in all the no-no-ville. We get out of Egypt to get into the, the wilderness, but we're supposed to keep progressing. Instead, we get stunted. 
and we end up pitching our tent in unbelief in the wilderness. Sure, we believe that Jesus Christ came. Yeah, sure, we believe that he died for our sins so he can give us eternal life. But we don't believe that he has anything more for us in this life. And so we stunt when God says, could you take down all those 31 hostile empires in your soul that are mocking me? Go after them. Take them down. Grab a hold of the sheriff and move into town with him. And we don't. Instead, we pitch our tent. Here's what I want to prepare you for. When you seriously decide to pursue Jesus Christ and the fullness of Jesus Christ, he has to walk you through a process to prepare you to take down 31 hostile empires. And this would be sort of the way that God would say it. This is like the way he said it to Gideon. I need to give you a limp. This isn't verbiage, uh, exact verbiage of what he said to Gideon. This is the concept. I need to give you a limp so that when you take down those 31 hostile empires, you will not think that you did it. And you will always know that it was me that delivered you. So that's just preparing you for what this means, the limping bride. God purposely gives a limp to his bride so that when his bride triumphs, everyone in the world knows. That's impossible. Exactly. But not impossible for God. It was God who did the work. I radically pop out of the spiritual womb. Okay, this is back in 1989. Eric Ludy was on fire for Jesus Christ. And I was praying for my campus revival. I was in college at the time. I'm like on my knees. I'm gathering whole groups together in my dorm room, and we're fighting for revival. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. I'm going up to people, and I'm sharing with them about Jesus. I was like the ultimate convert. I come home for Christmas break. Now, here's a strange thing. When I came home for Christmas break, my Christianity sort of stayed at college. It's not that when I was out and about around other people, they didn't see my Christianity. It was inside my home, there was something amiss. Hey, what's for dinner tonight? Meatloaf? Hate meatloaf. Wait a minute here. Isn't that from the land of no-nos? Wait a minute, this is from that old land. This is behavior from a previous life. Hey, did, that's my shirt. What are you wearing that for? That's my brother. He always put on my clothes. You've been in my closet. Take that off right now. Then we'd usually have a discussion about whose shirt it was. I know. I needed it. And then I'm like, I'm going to write my name on every label in my closet so you can't pull this ridiculous stunt next time. Hey, I was watching that. Turn the channel back. I just went to the bathroom. I'm coming back. That's my seat, by the way. That's my popcorn, too. Don't touch it. Okay, what behavior is this? Is this the beauty of Christ Jesus? You see, when someone takes a little peek inside your home through the blinds, if they could, if blinds could open from the outside in, would they see Jesus Christ inside your home? Would they be like, whoa, that's Jesus or would they be like, huh, another one of those fake Christians? See, we're not intentionally trying to fake it. In fact, it's very real to us when we're interacting with the world. We love Jesus, and we genuinely love them, and we want to serve them. But when we come home, oftentimes the real us is unveiled. I remember this one guy ruining my day once back then, and he said this to me. He said, Eric, you're only as holy as you are in your home. You know what my thought was? Show me the scripture reference for that. <laughs> I don't know if I buy that one. That's ridiculous. Why? Because it convicted me. Because my home life was a pile of junk. Now, I was probably bet I didn't hit my brother. I just talked very loudly to him. Does that make sense? As some guys come up and punch. I didn't do that. I was a better rendition of the no-no stuff. And as a result, I easily justified it because God was getting his finger on something. And I remember I came home from college, and when I was gone at college, I had lost my room. You know how moms will fix up your room and they had flowers in it all of a sudden? Now it was a guest room. Oh, this, is, this stinks. I come home, and it's a guest room. So it has, like, flowery stuff all over. The smells, you know, like potpourri. And my grandma was there for Christmas, and so I got booted out of my room, which wasn't even my room anymore, and so I was like a man without a dwelling. 
and I got stuck in my brother's room, which was never a good thing. And so I remember I even came in. The way I spoke to my brother was very demeaning, and I'd always done it. So it was a pattern. It was just sort of a rhythm in my life. I used to speak to everyone else, you know, with a normal voice, but then when it came to my brother, I was like, yeah. And that night, I threw my pillow in and a blanket, so I'm sleeping in here tonight. I know you're very impressed with how deep and cool my voice is, <laughs> but that is how I talked. I had a coolness about me. My brother was nothing. He was dirt, and he needs to know it. That's the job of an older brother. That's just sort of wherever that wiring came from, I had it. And so that night I, you know, made it clear, sleeping in there. Wasn't excited about it, but I'm sleeping in here. So there I am in my cot. <laughs> and I'm laying down on the, the cot, and I'm staring up at the ceiling. I remember there was a light on, and I wasn't very happy that there was a light on because my brother was still reading a book. So I was saying something like, could you turn off the light? And he's like, I'm almost done. Okay, this is how we're talking, back and forth, okay? This is the newly renovated Eric Ludi. He's really strutting his stuff. Okay, so I'm praying, which is a great irony, and I'm staring up at the light, and I remember this moment very clearly because I'm staring up at the light, and I'm like, Jesus. See, I'm all genuine and soft with Jesus. I love you. I want to be like you. Whatever it takes, I want to be like you. Is there anything in my life that needs to change? Please show me. I'll do it. Uh-oh. You see, there's certain blind spots we have that we don't even recognize. But God has to get to us. And in the process of preparing us to enter into the land of promise, he needs to walk us through the limping process where we lose the swagger. We lose, have you ever uh, seen a guy walk around with his arms like this? We need to lose that, whatever that is. By the way, I used to walk around like that. And it was a dark day when I realized that it's because men have muscles uh, that they walk around like that. Okay. <clears throat> okay, whatever that is, whatever that swagger, whatever that strut is, we need it removed from our Christianity. And we need to get the limp. It's not cool. A limp has never been cool. And we need to lean on Jesus. What's your problem? Not a problem. Perfectly fine. Why are you limping? Well, because I'm leaning on Jesus. This is the way he's prepared me to walk. It doesn't look good, and we don't like it, and we're not attracted to it at all. But if you want victory in your life, are you willing to allow Jesus to walk you through that process of gaining the limp? Jesus, I'll do anything. No. No, 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 except that. I knew exactly what God was asking of me that night. And there was no possible way. When you've had 18 years of haughty disgust towards your younger sibling, of putting yourself and posturing yourself in such a relationship, you can't just in a moment say, oh yeah, by the way, I'm really sorry for all that. I mean, this was a buildup of years and brother-brother relationships are difficult things to deal with. This is a science. It's like I'm trying to untangle one of those army men that has a parachute. You ever tried to do that? You know, they, they get all wrapped up. That's what brother-brother relationships are like. You don't just say, oh, yeah, sorry, and then everything's fine. This was difficult. And so I, I felt like the blowfish that night. Have you ever felt that where you know what God's asking of you? I'm just sitting in a cot. My brother's just reading a book, has no idea what's going on inside of me. I'm staring up at that crazy light. And I was either going to have to walk out of that room and go, no, I'm not doing it. Or I was going to heed what God was asking of me. I had always been the tough older brother with the deep, bassy voice, and this is how it came out. Archie? <laughs> my voice cracks. God gave me a limp from the very beginning. And this is how my brother responds. Yeah. I don't know how to say this. I've been a horrible older brother. I've never once spoken nice to you. 
I've always been harsh towards you. Never once complimented you in your entire life. I've done it wrong. And I want to do it right. Will you forgive me? I started crying at this point. Okay, now, I had never cried in front of my brother. That is the, talk about a no-no. No, no, you do not do that. You do not show weakness. So I start blubbering at this point. <laughs> and my brother starts crying. My brother had never, he'd always dreamed of words like this, but never expected them. We always called that the night the walls came down. I gained a friend that night in my very own brother. There was another time. It was, I don't know, maybe six months later. I was praying. God was walking me through junk in my past. Now God will do this. He'll get, you know, there's different people you hurt. And I had been masquerading as a Christian for years, all growing up. But God was saying, I don't know what that was, Eric, but it wasn't me. Can you make that right? No. Oh. I mean, I had a whole list of things. And it was a very difficult process. But one thing, I remember I was, it was in the middle of the night, and I had a dream. And it was a dream of a girl from junior high who used to be in a wheelchair. And she also would try and walk in her crutches, but she had cerebral palsy. And she actually went to public school. It's one of the most brave girls that ever existed. But could you imagine junior high with a girl in a wheelchair and on crutches that couldn't speak properly? I mean, it was a nightmare for her. And there was, in this dream, somehow I knew that she was calling out to me to be a friend. I woke up, and I had this palpable realization and a memory of junior high, her walking out into the hallway. She was on her crutches that day. And all my buddies around me were making fun of her. And then she, had, she made a funny face, which later we found out was a seizure. And all my buddies around me started yelling at her and laughing at her. And I joined in. And she fell flat on her face on the hard floor. And her aide came out and looked at us and said, how could you? How could you? And she went down and attended her, and all my buddies ran off, and I was feeling a bit convicted, but I ran off with them. I mean, you have to, you have to guard your reputation, don't you? See, this is the behavior that kills us. And if we're not set free from it, it truly sends us away from God. And God was pinpointing something in my past, and it's sort of like, why does that matter, God? Please don't push on this button any further. What am I supposed to do? I felt like God wanted me to pursue this girl and to make this right. I didn't know her. How am I supposed to deal with this? And I felt like God was saying, demonstrate to me that you love me. Take it seriously. So I called up my old school, and I said, yeah, do you have the number for so-and-so? No, that's a confidential information, sir. Oh, no problem. Oh, great. God whew, really gave my best there. You know, I'm too bad it didn't work. Eric, was that your best? What else could I do, God? That's all I know to do. Why don't you ask me? Well, I began to scavenge Colorado Springs to see if this girl still lived there. Guess what? She did. She lived right down the road from the old school. And so I remember calling her up. Uh, <clears throat> Hi, uh, this is Eric Ludy. Uh, <clears throat> remember me? I, was, I actually went to school with you. Yeah. Uh, I was seeing my sisters like walking through the room. <clears throat> I'm thinking that maybe my sister and I, my sister's like, could come down and take you out to lunch. And at that point, I think her mom jumped on the phone. Who is this? I'm, uh, sorry, ma'am. Uh, my name is Eric Ludy. I'm just a friend for, of Jennifer's from way back in junior high. Oh, I was just wondering if we could take her out to uh, lunch. My sister and, and I uh, could take her out to lunch. And so there we are at lunch. And I didn't know what to do. Am I supposed to say I'm sorry for laughing at you in junior high? I felt like God was asking me to correct what I didn't do back then and show her the love of Jesus and to serve her and treat her as royalty. 
And so uh, that's what we did throughout all of lunch. And then we're right down the road from that crazy old school. I had no interest in going back to it, by the way. And what does she say? Go to school. Go, go to the school. Uh, <clears throat> I acted like, you want more potato chips? Go, go to the school. I knew exactly what she was saying. My sister's like, Eric, she wants to go to the school. <laughs> Why'd I invite my sister? Uh, <clears throat> oh, you want to go to the school? Okay, we go to the school. Guess what? None of the teachers remembered me. Every single one of them fell all over Jennifer. Oh, Jennifer's here. Hey, everyone, Jennifer's here. No clue who I am. My favorite teacher walks through. Oh, Jennifer. Hi, uh, Mrs. Elliott. Remember me, I, Eric Ludy? Oh, I have so many students. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were my favorite. How could you forget me? This is terrible. Guess what? There we are walking down the hall. The precise point where she had fallen. The bell rings. All the kids come swarming out into the hall. And there I was standing with her this time. How God rectifies what we were and makes us something new is something only he can do. But I want you to know I didn't look too cool in those hallways that day. I don't care what I look like in this world's eye anymore. And that's the secret. It's a limp in the world's eyes. In heaven, it's a full-out sprint without any impediment. The limping bride is the one that limps in front of this earth and doesn't care. We are set free to sprint a heavenly race, but what it looks like down here doesn't look too cool. The call to Canaan. So what I'm going to do here in this, and you'll see how all this weaves together, I'm going to introduce you to the story of Jacob and Esau, but I'm going to do it in a very fast-forward type of sense because this is a rather complicated and deep message, and I'm going to just focus on one little part. But to do that, I need to give you at least a little scope to it. God's people have always been in Canaan. But some, for some reason, in the story of God's people, they always leave Canaan and then get called back. And so here we have the story of Jacob, who has left Canaan, and now he's being called back. But before this, you see, even the story of Jacob and Esau is an incredible symbol of what we could call the flesh versus the spirit. There are two parts to who you are. There is a part that wants to stay in Egypt and doesn't mind being enslaved because there's a pleasure in sin. There is a comfort in knowing that you can just behave any way you want. You want to be an animal. It's the flesh. There's another part of you that is crying out for you to progress and to get out of these shackles and to go after Jesus Christ. It's the spirit. And oftentimes that spirit voice is so tiny. It's so small and you vaguely hear it. But how you respond to that little tiny voice defines every other detail of your life and your course. So what has happened in the very beginning, these are twins. Esau, Jacob and Esau are twins. Esau was born first, so he's the oldest. He was hairy all over. He was a hunter. Get, get this. This is the description of Jacob. He was a plain man dwelling in tents. Yay, Jacob. Who wants? Okay, all the guys in here get to vote. Who wants to be the hairy hunter that likes his venison? And who wants to be the plain man? dwelling in tents okay now with the hairy hunter you have to have hair all over your chest and all over your back okay it just goes with the, the territory so you have to know what you're getting yourself into every single one of us leans in the direction of the hairy hunter we want to be strong we don't want to be this wimp over here it's a perceived wimp this is the flesh versus the spirit every single one of us goes after the firstborn you know the flesh is the firstborn within us we are after everything that's external. We esteem things that are external. We esteem achievements. We esteem strength. We esteem beauty. Everything the flesh is, that's what we esteem naturally. But there is another thing at work in this world. And when God awakens us, suddenly we're like, you know what? You see how that person is serving? I esteem that. See how that person is humble? I esteem that. It's not what the world esteems. It's what the newly born Christian begins to esteem. Someone gets up and confesses their sin, and we're like, that's a man. 
Well, that isn't how the world sees it. That's a limp in the world's eyes. But in heaven's eyes, we esteem it and we say, that is good. And so Jacob, who is the second born, reaches out. As the two are being born, he reaches out and grabs the heel of Esau as they're coming out of the womb, which is why he has the name Jacob. Heel grabber. Jacob is after whatever Esau has. You see, Esau is the firstborn. In an oriental culture, they get all of the inheritance. They get the birthright. Esau has the birthright, and Jacob wants it. It's not just any birthright. This is the birthright of Abraham, the people of God. And Esau doesn't esteem it, as the story goes. And Jacob cons him out of it and, and tricks him with a bowl of red stew. And Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. Jacob is after something, but he can't seem to find it because he gets the birthright, and he's still struggling in his life. He's still miserable in his existence. His brother, after being deceived, wants to kill him. In fact, vows that he will kill Jacob. So Jacob flees. 20 years later, there's the call back to Canaan. The problem is, Esau, the flesh, still stands in the way. He blocks the border into the promised land. You're not coming. You know where? Mount Seir is where the, the descendants of Esau even still dwelt at the time when the Israelites came out of Egypt. It was right on the border of the wilderness and the promised land. That's where they set up shop. You want to go into the promised land? You want to go into Canaan? You have to get through Esau and his descendants, known as the Amalekites. God says that he will fight the Amalekites from generation to generation. He hates them. They represent the hindrance to going in. And so here we have it. That's my stage that I'm going to set for you. We have the call to Canaan, and that's a call I want you to feel very sharply in your soul today, to get out of your shackles, to get out of the death in your soul, to get out of the slumber, and to progress into the life. And the Lord said unto Jacob, return into the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. It's that simple. God just says, I will be with thee. Go. Uh, we got some problems, God. <laughs> I got Esau and his armed host. Jacob has no military force. None. How in the world is he supposed to get through this? Esau is a warrior. Remember he started out a hunter? Well, he continued in sort of that vein. He has 400 armed men at his disposal. Jacob has women and children. Who's going to win? That's the equivalent of a lamb against a wolf. Wolf wins. Jacob knows it. But God says, and he makes it sound so easy, I'll be with thee. <laughs> Thanks, God. Okay, uh, could you be with me in a cloud, of, uh, or a cloud by day in a pillar of fire that will burn him up by night? Please. Wrestling for the blessing. They get to the edge. They're going to meet Esau the next morning. Jacob is despairing. I don't know if this sounds like you. In, the, in Christian history, this is known as the dark night of the soul. When you have come to the end of yourself and you can see no way through. You can't get there and you know it. No matter how hard you've tried, you've gritted your teeth, you've disciplined. You used to get up early every morning and pray. You used to stay up late. You do whatever it took. You went and served the poor. You've done everything and you can't get out of this tomb that you're in. The dark night of the soul. Jacob had conned. He, was, he had done everything he could to get that blessing. He wanted life. He wanted the substance of God. And he couldn't seem to grab it. And he's just about to meet his death the next day. Esau and 400 armed men are waiting. And they blocked the passage to the promised land. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let, this is Jacob speaking. So the man of God says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God, and with men hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, 
thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. There he limped upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. You're at the dark night of your soul. It is impossible to get through. You grab a hold of your God and you do not let go of him. And you do not let go of him until you get everything you need to face Esau the next morning. He has it! And there's no other place you can get it from. You do not hold on. And then he says, let go of me. You say, okay, I guess there's no hope then. You say, I can't let go. Because you are the only one that has it. And if you don't give it, I will never get it. I must hold on. You know what Jesus likens this to in the New Testament? This is the, the neighbor that goes next door. He needs bread. Someone is visiting his house and he doesn't have bread for him. So he goes next door to the neighbor who he knows has bread and he knows is at home. It's in the middle of the night. Kink, kink, kink. Kink, 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 kink. The guy's like, hey, get out of here. I'm in bed. Kink, 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 kink. You will not stop knocking until that neighbor gets up and says, okay, here. And God says, this is faith. You want God, you want to get out of this funk, you want to get out of this tomb, you grab a hold of your God until the breaking of day. And in the process, he'll touch your thigh. And you'll find that you have a limp. The day you need to meet 400 armed men, you have women and children around you and look at you. You have a limp. Seemingly useless. Who's going to get the credit for this victory? God does. God doesn't mind giving his bride a limp so that when they come to meet the armed forces of Esau, all heaven and hell will testify it was God. Facing the arch rival with a limp. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men and he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times. This is Jacob bowing seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth, which means booths. By the way, this is very fascinating. When the Israelites came out of Egypt... You know the first place that they stopped? Succoth. The same place that Jacob stopped. Now, booths, that's what Succoth means. Booths, I'm not exactly sure what that means. It was some type of encasement for cattle. And Jacob came to Salem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. Jacob came to Salem. What, what's that? Salem. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Salem. Jerusalem. Whoa! The city of the king! Look at there's this, this word is used three times in scripture, Salem. And he brought a parcel of a field. He bought a parcel of a field. Speaking of, uh, oh, this is just continuing going. Sorry about that. I'll get to the Salem thing in a second. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, and for a hundred pieces of money, and he erected there, there an altar and called it Elohe Israel, arriving in Salem. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. This is one of the three spots that it's used, other than the spot we just saw right here. Melchizedek, it's a story way back in the days of Abraham, where this king of Salem, who was a king and a priest. Remember in the New Testament in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is of the order, the high priestly order of Melchizedek. He's the king and priest of Salem, of Jerusalem. He's the rescuer, the strong ruler. This is where you're headed. 
Jesus has called you under his mastery and under his control. He says, come. We will break through this barrier of 400 armed men. They will not be able to keep you from me. Come to Salem. You know what Salem means? Peace. It's the place of peace. You know what peace is? It's the eradication of all enemy faction. All of those enemies that have hindered you and have crippled your forward progression are no more. Come to Salem. Yes, you come with a limp. But you come in the stride of the most holy secondborns. You are of the, the tribe of Israel now. The ones that have grabbed a hold of God and, and wrestled until you overcame. That's who Israel is. And Jacob came to Salem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. Now look at this scripture. I love this. Psalm 76. This is the third time that it's used in scripture. In Judah, now remember, Israel was divided into 12 uh, plots for the 12, well, actually it was nine and a half, so but to not confuse, the 12 tribes of Israel that came into the land of promise, it was divided amongst them. And the Levites didn't get a share, and then we also had certain tribes that stayed on the other side of the Jordan. So, sorry, I had to clarify that. But Judah is one of the parcels. That's where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is in Judah. It's a line of David. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem, also his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Salem and Zion, Jerusalem was called the castle of Zion. There broke he the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the battle. Selah. What did he do in Judah? What did he do in Salem? What did he do in Zion? He broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the battle. There, is, there are arrows, shields, swords, and a battle that are coming against you. And what do you find in Salem? What do you find where Jesus is? What do you find in his dwelling place? You find that all of that is brought to naught against you. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the good news. At the very end of that sequence, you see that Jacob erected an altar. Now, I want you to think about this. We look past this quite easily. But an altar was set up as a memorial, as a tribute, and as an offering unto God. Very rarely do we build altars, and for good reason. Most of us don't, like, put lambs on altars and, you know, light them up and, you know, make some incense go forth. The name of it was El Elohi Israel, the mighty God of Israel. Now, remember this. Jacob has just been renamed so we always look at that and he says, the mighty God of the people of God. The mighty God of his people. You know what this is saying? This is the equivalent of saying, the mighty God of Eric. The mighty God of Sandy. The mighty God of Jason. He's proven. And you want to declare it to the world. You want to see a God at work. Look what he did here. Build your pile, your memorial, and say, see world? The mighty God of Eric Ludi. He has done this in my life. Has he done it in yours? Because I'm here to personally testify that I have an altar built. I have a pile of stones before my God to say, world, look at this. He's done this in me. He set me free. All the powers of earth and hell no longer have control over my soul. I'm in Salem, and I am ruled by the one from the line of Melchizedek, the king and priest, Jesus Christ. He rules my life, and that is my testimony. I remember being in missionary school, And God had to continue to break me down to make me strong to go forth. This concept of a limp, I don't know if it's the best term for it, but it's a pretty good one. Because there are certain things that we say, God, I'm willing. And then we say, except for this, 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 and this. I need to appear strong to people. I want to look a certain way. I mean, can't I still maintain a little hipness? At the same time, follow you? Do I really need to look like an idiot? 
so here I am in, in missionary school. They had these bunks that were stacked up. Talk about, I mean, anyone who comes to Ellerslie and complains about the lodgings, you should go where I went to missionary school. We had about, I don't know, 25 guys per room. We had like two or three here at Ellerslie. Come on. And they were stacked, like five bunks built like out of plywood. And so you had about, oh, I don't know, maybe 12 inches or less when you're laying in your little slot at night. It was like a morgue, you know, you sort of just get slid in. And so I have a piece of plywood right above me. I had a soccer dream once, you know, where I was like playing soccer. and I, So I was laying there in my little slat, you know, I don't know what you call it, but, uh, and I was praying. And it was one of those prayers, you know, the, the one with my brother was the one with the light. This one is the plywood, and I'm just sort of staring at the plywood. And I was praying, God, is there anything in my life that is hindering my forward progression? You know, I don't want to discourage you from praying that prayer. (laughs) But I just want you to know, God loves to answer it. And the greatest moments of my life have flowed out of that, but they're not the easiest ones. Usually they're the limping moments. The things that have given me my limp have flowed out of that willingness to say, God, search me and try me. Is there anything? I had always struggled in my life. I didn't really realize it, but with, we could call it exaggeration. Technically, in God's economy, it's lying. But I was insecure in who I was, so I would always add a little to it. For instance, I felt I was too thin and skinny, I know most people don't struggle with this exact issue, but I felt that I was too thin and skinny, and I weighed, like, you know, what was at the time, it's like 170, which is about 20 pounds more than I weigh now, and I was, I, I had a reverse eating disorder. I honestly, I'd look in the mirror, and I was like, I was just so thin. It's like a stick. So I added 10 pounds to my weight. Yeah, I weigh uh, 181. That's a lie. That was an out lie. Now, all of you could say, what a ridiculous thing to lie and go to hell about. (laughs) Exactly. I couldn't see it though. Exaggeration to me wasn't lying. And so how about my 40 yard dash time? Okay. There were, there were good times. I knew what professional sports players needed to have to, you know, get into the NFL. And so I wanted to be considered an athlete. And so when anyone asked me my 40 time, I had like this, I, I took off, you know, like, Uh, what, five-tenths of a second? Oh, it's harmless! My bench press, I added 10 pounds. My 400, I know this is totally ridiculous to many of you, my 400 time, you know, one lap around the track, you know, I trimmed off a good three seconds when I told people what I ran it in. Because then they may think I had arrived! Because what I was was insufficient, I wasn't there yet! So there I am underneath my plywood. God, is there anything in my life? Well, there was. And I don't know that I was too excited when God brought it up. Because you know who I'd said all those things to? All the guys at missionary school. God was categorically going through my lies since I'd arrived at the, at the school. And I don't know if I've told any of this class. I know I tell the Ellerslie students how I arrived at missionary school. I arrived at missionary school without a limp. I was one cool guy. I brought a football. I brought a basketball. I brought a Frisbee. I brought my muscle shirts. I brought, get this one, brace yourself. I brought my entire weight set. I know you're looking at me going, you lift weights? Keep that thought to yourself. I came up to one of the leaders, like, yeah, where, where do I put my weight set? Do you see any limp here? And the guy says, you're what? Yeah, yeah, my weight set, I have the, you know, one of those things, bench press, I have all the weights. And you brought your weight set? Yeah, yeah. Anyone can use it. I just need a place to set it up. Uh, set it up in the back, I guess. Well, there's a whole bunch of weeds back there. Uh-huh. You can set it back there. What? They didn't show any value to my weight set. I would walk around without my shirt on. They had a policy you had to keep your shirt on. 
this would ruin my tan line. I'm at missionary school. Do you see any problem here? It's like, I'd wait for them to tell me I needed to put my shirt on. I had this, they had this huge, like, seven-foot guy, and he found me one day. He's like, shirt on. Okay, okay, buddy, that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll get it on. God had to get me. Eric, you are standing in the way. I knew exactly what I needed to do. And Eric had to die. There I was standing in front of the class, which was about 25, 28 students. I, 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 I asked to get up there. I was trembling. You know, I was like, Dean, can I say something? I was like, oh, sure. Uh, Donnie, I didn't run the 400 in it was really, man. He's looking at me like, okay. Tim, I didn't, I don't actually bench press. Uh-uh. It's really, uh-uh. Okay, I went categorically through these things. I've never, I felt like all my clothes were stripped off. I'm just standing there and everyone's gawking, going, Pfft. it was me. Me and all my weakness. And I remember those guys all came up and they surrounded me. And they prayed for me. And I cried and I cried and I cried. Because I was loved in that weak state by the body of Christ. You know what? It was one of the most amazing processes. Because all of those things that had held me down were just shed out of my life as I allowed God to give me a limp. As I was holding on to him saying, I need what you have. He says, well, I need to touch you right here. And when he touched me in that thigh and I suddenly had trouble walking in front of the crowd and I didn't look cool anymore. My strut was completely gone. I couldn't just jump up and catch the football the way I always did and then point at the, the gallery over there and go, yeah, I caught that one for you. All of it was gone. And suddenly Eric could walk in the heavenly stride. I couldn't walk in heaven before that. I was stuck and I was bound. Because I was doing my walking down here on earth for the crowds around me. And God says, you want to be set free to walk in heaven. Allow me to touch you down here. God has set me free. And this is, I just gave you three stories. Boy, I could, I could whip out, unfortunately, a truckload of those. You know, one of the things A.W. Tozier says is, the gospel frees us from the tyranny of public opinion. It frees us where we don't need to be under the thumb of what everyone around us thinks. You know how many of us spend most of our life thinking what everyone thinks? Oh, what are they? You know what my, my nightmare was? I mean, I, all growing up, here's my nightmare. I'm stuck out in front of a whole arena full of girls. There's like a little podium in the middle of the whole arena. And in one voice, they cry out and go, sick! Dead serious. That was my nightmare. And so I did everything to try and offset that. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to be disgusting to the world. I want their good opinion. And guess what? I was forsaking the good opinion of God to try and gain the good opinion of this earth. I want you to join me. I am forsaking the good opinion of this earth because I'm interested in the good opinion of my God. Those 400 armed men that stand between you and the promised land within you, your flesh, your itch for self-approval, self self-exaltation, you want it your way. That stands between you and your God because you can't have it your way and his way simultaneous. You give up your way to get his way. Are you willing to allow God to touch the hollow of your thigh and to give you a limp? With all your women and children about you and your limp, you come up to the greatest foe that has always been your arch rival and he will make a way and say, go on through. The enemy can no longer hinder the progression of your soul. 
That is the good news. But it comes with a limp. We are called to be the limping bride. And when we arrive in Canaan and we arrive in Salem, we can build an altar that gives tribute to our mighty God and his ability to deliver us wholly and fully. Let's pray. Holy Father, be gentle with us. Lord, so many of us are afraid of that limp. And it's our fear of that limp that is keeping us bound. We're afraid to look odd in the world's eyes. We're afraid to be found disgusting. We're afraid to, be, to look and appear foolish. But Lord Jesus, the gospel frees us from even caring about anything but your good opinion. Lord, may we live for you and you alone. And I pray that you would deliver us in and through our arch rival, in and through all his powers, everything that has held us down. I pray that you would part that enemy host and that we would stroll on in to Salem and that there would be a place of peace that we arrive at for the glory of our King, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.